So hello, hello to everyone who is not able to be in service. Um, miss you guys. Lord bless you. I know some people need to be online for a different reason. So if you're not well, Lord bless you. And if you um, bless you, if you are just quarantining, and may you stay well. So, First Samuel chapter number seven is where we will eventually be. I um, I told you though what I want to do is um, not only um, give a biblical account. Excuse me, if I can do this. I don't know if I'll need this or not. I, I don't want to just give it. I want to give. Um, some some a history lesson too about some of the uh, revivals that happened in history, and I'm tempted to preach that, but that's not the Bible, right? So um, I, it's, it's it's difficult. I'm kind of almost preparing two different messages, if you will. Um, so look at the the first great awakening. Just a little bit today. It's um, uh, first of all, you know, we we like to think about our country as as it was founded when the um, when the uh, people arrived at, in the Plymouth Plantation, uh, thank you, Joe. They stood outside <laughs> um, the post there. Um, you know, they they came over initially for uh, religious freedom, and a lot of them were in some form re- very religious. Um, but very quickly, uh, it, that was about the same time, or just after the Enlightenment and rational. Uh, um, you know, the rationalization of humanism came about, and that very quickly moved over to the United States. So when, it, when it's coming into the early 1700s, the, um, the population of the United States, uh, of course, which is not the United States at that time, uh, but the population of the colonies uh, is around 1740 was right around a million people. Um, the church membership was around 2% of that. So around 25,000. So 2.5%. Again, that's... They, they didn't take those... We didn't have George Barna then. So um, it was, it's hard to look at those statistics exactly, but that's what it looks like. Uh, church membership was around 2.5% of um, the population in 1740-ish which is not very much. And a lot of the pastors or clergy uh, men at the time did not even have an understanding of Scripture. They didn't even believe it themselves. Um, so the, the, what we know now as the United States, the colonies, was not a very believing community. They, they may have been quote-unquote Christian, uh, in that that they weren't um, they weren't Jews, and they weren't Muslims. Okay, so they were they were, might have been Christian in that they um, they believed that there might, there was a God because at that time there wasn't a lot of there was not a lot of atheism there was some atheism, but um, they were not Christians what we would know as Christians. They um, they did not have much of an understanding of having a personal relationship with Jesus. It just was. It just was not there, um, and again, that can be evidenced in the fact that there was 
about 2.5% church membership. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the colonies were very much into um, humanism. Um, I mean, you can see that Thomas Jefferson was um, a humanist. Um, Benjamin Franklin uh, was not a Christian, even though um, he got to be good friends with George Whitfield, who is one of the greatest uh, evangelists that the, that, uh, the world's ever known. Um, but Whitfield couldn't convert Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he said, no, nah, that's all right, you know, um, even though they, they tried. So to, to give you an idea, the, the country was very, very ripe for needing a revival at that time. And um, uh, there was a, a, a man here in the, in the States who um, uh, was, was, he, he was on the cusp of that, Jonathan Edwards. You probably have heard Jonathan Edwards' name. Um, when he was young, he, took, oh, he uh, became the assistant pastor for his grandfather's church up in Massachusetts. And his grandfather had actually said that he had seen times of flux where it's like the Holy Spirit um, came through and, and started bringing people in to know, to know the Lord. And then it's like it, it kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit. And so he, he grew up understanding that from his, his church in, um, oh, I want to say it's South Windsor, Mass. Um, by the way, if anybody wants any of this information, I can give you... Um, I'm not finding what I'm looking for exactly, uh, but I've got. I, c I can give you where I got the information if you if anybody would like it. So um, anyway, he ends up taking over for his, his grandfather, um, and he's starting to sense and feel this is right uh, right around 1740 that that the Holy Spirit is starting to move. Um, he preaches uh, the sermon. Uh, his sermon, uh, Sinners of a Hand in the Hands of an Angry God, up in Massachusetts. First, it didn't have that much response, honestly. Um, he, but he, there's, this, there's this stirring that's starting to happen. So he met with a, a group of uh, parishioners at a home in um, uh, Suffolk, Mass. Um, Suffield, Mass, on uh, July 8th in 1741. And um, there was a stirring. Mind you, this is a private home. There was about 200 people there. And as he's, as he's speaking, um, people are starting to respond. They're starting to shriek. They're starting to cry. They're uh, fainting. They are um, so much that they can't hear him because of all the stuff going on. Then a couple of days later, he goes down to Enfield, Connecticut, preaches uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and things explode. Um, at the same time, we've got uh, some missionaries, evangelists coming over from England, uh, in, especially in George Whitfield. Whitfield um, was an amazing preacher. He um, preached uh, about 18,000 sermons, uh, and uh, I believe he went a, uh, took the trip between uh, Great Britain and the United States about seven times, went all the way up and down the East Coast. Uh, people, people said that um, at, at the time that he was alive, virtually everyone in the colonies had, had seen him or heard his name. He had a higher name recognition than virtually anyone else uh, in, the, in the colonies. He was 
he was a celebrity. If you, if you will, he was like the Tom Cruise of the day. I mean, he, I mean, everybody knew who George Whitfield was. Uh, I read one account that um, uh, there was a, a, a farmer out on the on the field, and somebody told him that uh, George Whitfield was going to be in town. And this is his own account. He said that he dropped all of his tools in the field, went back, got ready really, really quick. He and his wife got on his horse, and they they basically ran, and they would take turns being on the horse, and one person would run alongside and trying to get to where Whitfield was by the time um, by the time he started. And he said they 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 got there and they looked, and it was like he said there was like a sea of people just coming in to where Whitfield was. Uh, from all over. He preached to um, masses of up to around 30,000 people. And a lot of this was open air because they didn't have any place to that would fit. Um, there's one account that he was up in the Boston area and uh, it, people wouldn't fit in the church so they moved it outside. Um, people got trampled and some people died because they got trampled at one of Whitfield's uh, services. Uh, but he went on and preached anyway. Go figure, but um, but this was this was the the level of um, evangelism that was going on and and the stirring that happened in the country during this time uh, during the first great awakening. Um, Whitfield ended up uh, preaching all up and down the East Coast. Uh, it said that church membership went from about twenty five thousand doubled to about fifty thousand, and um, it was. It, it, it was a move that wasn't even, it was not just um, like one denomination. So uh, Whitfield, I, I read one account, he said, um, he said, when, they, when you ask Father Abraham in heaven, are there Presbyterians in heaven? Are there Catholics in heaven? Are there Baptists in heaven? And, and he said, Father Abraham would tell you, no, we're Christians in heaven. And so it was this move of that, that, um, united a lot of the colonies like like it had never been done before. Um, I want to remind you, at the time, um, a lot of the colonies, were, they were able to set their own religion. We, it, this was even before, it, it, was, it was a state issue in, uh, you know, in New England. It was more of a congregational state, uh, but there were some that were more Baptist. There were some that were Catholic, and some of them you... You know, and you had to be that denomination to be able to be a part of the state. You know, um, we wouldn't find that now. But this, this movement in the Great Awakening united a lot of the different factions in Christianity. Now, it also divided because a lot of people, they, they saw what was going on with, with um, Jonathan Edwards and, and Whitfield and the like, and they, they didn't like people crying out in the middle of a sermon. And they thought, oh, this is, this is too radical. This is too, this, this can't be God. This is, you know, uh, people would, would cry. They would faint. They would, um, they, they would uh, shriek in the middle of the sermon. Or they would laugh. They'd be emotional. And uh, a lot of people said, no, this, you, you have to be stoic to be Christian. Okay? And, and really, and so there was, a, a, there was a divide in Christendom at the time um, because a lot of people rejected the Great Awakening. Now, Jonathan Edwards, I, I kind of liked his, his approach. Um, 
he said, you know what, I, I'm going to look at the fruit. If, if somebody, um, when, you know, if, if, if we're having a service and they, they have these different crazy stuff going on, if they, it brings them closer to the Lord, they're wanting to love people more, they're wanting to read their Bible more, they're wanting to be in prayer more, um, then obviously God's working, and I'm going to keep my hands off of that. But if it's causing them to be more soulish, you know, and they're, it's obviously it's for an attention, he said, we'll, we'll take care of it. But I'm, he's going to look at the fruit. Now, um, when the Great Awakening was um, starting to wane, um, this is from this is from Jonathan Edwards in his uh, in one of his. Let me just summarize. I was going to read this, but for time's sake, let me just summarize this. Um, it was started. It was it seemed to be starting to wane just a little bit. And um, he, he said there was two instances that um, you could tell there wasn't much activity. There weren't that many conversions after this. One, and he, he highlights uh, one of the um, main ones. And uh, this is really interesting. What, what happened was there was um, someone in one of the congregations that was, uh, I think he said melancholy, they were depressed. And another person in the congregation uh, felt led to give them a Bible verse out of the Psalms. And they said, go over to them and said, this is, I believe this is for you um, out, of, out of the Psalms. Well, Jonathan Edwards said that that was completely wrong to do. That um, basically that the, the clergy, you know, pastors and, and the like, um, could operate in that manner, in kind of in the gifts of the Spirit, but it wasn't for the people. And so it was completely wrong for somebody to go up to somebody else and to give them a Bible verse to try to encourage them in some way. It's beyond me. <laughs> but um, they, they came down really hard on this guy. Uh, it said that he was very, very repentant and, um, and, and whatnot. But after that time, and what... Um, what he, these are Jonathan Edwards' words. After these things, the instances of conversion were rare here in comparison of what they had been before. And so that's one of the instances that they, he, Jonathan Edwards marks is that they came down on someone basically for operating in the gifts of the Spirit. So as we go forward... I like his, you know, let, let's look at the fruit. If there's good fruit coming from stuff, you know, I, yeah, that, that's great. Well, uh, let's also make sure we don't discourage the things of the Spirit, okay? And it, it, we also have to realize, just like with uh, Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield, when, when God starts to move, even from quote-unquote Christian groups, not everybody's going to like it happened before many many times and so we have to be realized that they might stir up a mess but that's okay again if, if, if it's drawing people to the Lord if the fruit is there if they're wanting to love more and serve more and and repent more and get right with the Lord more and people are giving their hearts to the Lord you know what it's good stuff that's right
exactly. So um, that's that's the, the it tapered off after that the first great awakening and we'll we'll look at some more of that later. That's a real snippet. Um, but let's look also let's look in in scripture uh, in First Samuel seven. If you want to go there, I'm actually I need to give a little bit of a, a history lesson. What because what happens in First Samuel seven doesn't happen in a vacuum. Okay, um, Samuel is uh, the last judge, the first prophet, if you will, of Israel. Samuel grew up. Uh, if you remember, um, he was the the first child that his mom had. His, his mom had was her womb was closed, and uh, she said, "Lord, I, I want a baby. If I if I have." If you'll give me a kid, I'll give him back to you. And so Samuel is born, and she deposits him, if you will, at the tabernacle um, under Eli. And um, then comes back and visits him every year. And um, But Samuel grew up in the tabernacle. Um, Eli was a, yeah, he, he was a judge of Israel and the priest. His sons were not any good. Um, his sons did a lot of bad stuff. So this was a time... That um, the, that Israel was not exactly walking with the Lord. Um, they had a, so they had the tabernacle. They had a, had a priest. They had a, a judge who was, was starting to lead them, but they also had um, they they also worshipped a lot Baal and Asherah. Baal was the storm god. Uh, he he's the one who brought the rain. Uh, Asherah was the uh, the god of war. And his and Baal's female counterpart, if if you will, uh, quite literally, um, is very so. Uh, in it, in a lot of ways, Israel was what they call syncretistic. Uh, we we have that today. Um, syncretism is when uh, you basically say, you know, I'll. I'll it's Oprah Winfrey generation, if you will. Or it's uh, you know what? I'll yes, I'll take Jesus. I, I I'm I'm for Jesus. I'm also for mm-hmm. Buddha. I'm also for you know yeah. As long as there's a God and as long as you have love, you're okay. That's syncretism. They had God. They had the temp, the tabernacle. They had the ark. They had a priest. They had a judge. They also had Baal. They also had Asherah. They they were like you know. Whatever God that you've got, you're okay as long as you've got God. Not okay. Now, around this time, um, you might remember the story that uh, the Philistines captured the ark. They captured the ark. They, um, uh, when they took it back to their land, they, they, it went from town to town, and every town that the ark went into, the town uh, got plagues, and they say that no, we we don't want it. Here, you take it, because you know God would would plague the place, and so they they deposited the ark in the temple of Dagon, their their god, and uh, the next day Dagon was was fallen over in front of the ark of God, so they put Dagon back up. You know, and and it seems almost like they they're like okay well we can have more than one god here too we can have god we can have dagon we can also have the ark that the god of jews then the next day they come in and dagon had fallen over again his his uh, head was chopped off and so were his hands like okay we got to get rid of this thing so they they put the ark um, 
try, how do I condense this? The, they, they send the ark away, and it ends up being at um, uh, Kareth Jerem for approximately 20 years, right? And people honestly don't know why it didn't go back to the tabernacle. So what I, what I believe is that God somehow orchestrated this to make the people want him. For whatever reason it was that it didn't go back there and they didn't have a place to worship, I think God orchestrated it so that people would realize what it was like to be without him. Come on, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, I thought I had that. In First uh, Samuel seven, I'm gonna have to. I might have to continue this next week. It's okay. Um, verse one: The men of Kiriath Jerem came and, and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath Jerem, the time was long, for it was twenty years, um, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. You see that? So I, I, I believe, you know, I don't, I don't know why it didn't go back, okay, nobody really knows that, but I believe what God was doing was saying, okay, I'm going to withdraw from you a little bit and see what, see, do, do, you, do you miss me yet? Do you miss me? The, the time was long. So Samuel spoke to, verse 3, spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord, with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel will remove the Baals and the Ashtaroth and serve the Lord alone. You see that? So they had them all. They had, they had the Baals. They had the Ashtaroth. They, they had God. They had what they thought was God. They had this syncretistic idea of, you know, we'll, we'll, serve, we'll serve everything. Let's make sure not leave anything out. We don't want to make anyone mad, right? Can't afford to make anybody mad. God doesn't like that. He wants, he, he's, he's a jealous God. He wants to be worshipped alone. Samuel said, gather all Israel to, to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah and drew uh, water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, Where have, we have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. And um, let me just, uh, the rest of it, what happens is the Philistines have gathered in battle. They knew Israel had come out there. They all cry out, Samuel, would you pray for us? And Samuel prays, and God thundered. Kind of cool. God thunders and sends the Philistines into complete confusion. And then the Israelites go after them. After they're totally confused, God God routed them. The Israelites had to do the cleanup job, right? Because the God confused them in such a way that um, they, they all scattered. And Israel went out there. And then uh, if you go on, not only did they win the battle, but all the cities that, that, that they had lost, they regained because they, they gave up their idols. They gave up their idols. They repented. They, they left their idols and they they focused on the Lord alone. Now, 
And the next, let me let me just focus on this in the next few minutes and um, and try to wrap it up. Um, what is an idol? What's an idol? I've been, I was kind of thinking about this. You know, they they had they were in an agricultural society. They they it wasn't you know you didn't go down to the local um, uh, plant making cars, right? Or uh, you know they they didn't have the uh, metal worker. They didn't uh, you know they weren't fasting horse you know uh, manufacturing horseshoes and, or whatever. Um, you know they it was an agrarian society. They um, so they had to rely upon. Um, Having enough water, right? They had to, God had to water the crops, or they had no crops. And we, we've been we've been there even in the last few years. I've heard the hay the hay crop around here has been pretty nil. Is that am I remembering that correctly? Been okay, been okay this year, but like the last couple of years. So, you know, it, and you have to you rely upon they they didn't have tractors going around. We we watched some hay. Uh, last last week out at our place, and it's amazing. They they cut it all, they rake it all, they they pick it all up, chop it, put it in the back of uh, big old trucks and, and and stuff, and carry it off. They didn't have that. That's all by hand, right? And they didn't go around with big old you know fertilizer trucks holding I don't know what five thousand gallons of you know what in the back of it. Um, <laughs> all right, they didn't have that. It was all by hand, and they had to rely upon the Lord. They had to rely upon God to give them the water and the sunshine and everything that they needed. So you wanted to make sure that the gods, right, the gods that controlled that, you were in good favor with. What God wants, what Yahweh wants, is He, he doesn't want you relying upon any other gods. Back then, it was idols. It was it was Baal, the god of the storm, right? They wanted Baal to make sure and give them the water they needed. God said, no, 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 no. I'm the only one. I want you to rely only on me. What do you rely on besides God? Is there anything you rely on more than God? Is there anything that you trust in more than God? Trust in your job? Trust in family relationship, you trust in money, you trust in the government, you trust in a doctor, do you trust in um, what is it that you have, what is it that you, that you are putting your trust in more than the God of all the universe? If there's something that you're putting your trust in more than God. And, and all those things, look, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, right? We all need some money to live on, right? We need relationships. We need jobs. We, we, we need a government structure of some kind. We, we need all those things. Th those are not bad. But when you put your trust more in something else or someone else more than God, it's an idol. Right? And what the Lord wants, wants to do is for us to lay all those idols down. I've got more. I'm just going to end, end with this. Um, what they did is they poured out water. They fasted. 
they repented, they put their idols down and said, we're, 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 we're going to hold just in God alone. And I believe, what we, I believe in our society today, and really even in the church, we have other trust issues. We, do, we, we trust in the government, and to some extent we should, absolutely. We trust in doctors, and to some extent we really should. They're good. They're, they're very, very helpful. We trust in our jobs. We trust in the, the money that we get, whether that's from the government or from Social Security or from retirement or from job and working. We trust, we, we, we trust in that. Anytime we, we put more trust in anyone else other than God, that is becoming an idol for us. And so... Yes, it is repenting of, of sin. Yes, it's repenting of, of the, the, the stuff that's gotten in our way with the relationship with God. But it is, it is getting out of us anything that we trust in more than God himself. And that's what the Lord needs to work on our hearts. Do we, do we trust in society? Do we, do we trust in a, a, a church that is, is stable? In, in, in other words, do you, you, you come into a church and you're like, okay, I, I know what's going to go on. I know that there's not going to be any boat, you know, rocking of the ship. I know that the pastor's not going to step on my toes too hard, right? Okay. What, what do you trust in? Can you give it all up? just say, Lord, I'm just going to trust in you. That's it. What the Lord wants us to do is to lay all those idols down. There's, let, me, let me end with this. There's a passage. I just read it. Oh, yes, okay. Um, let me end with this. The Lord reminded me of something else. The Lord gave me a passage earlier in the week. Um, and I, did, I, I couldn't quite remember where it was from. I knew the, the I, I was like, he gave me a few words. Um, I'm just going to go there real fast, and we'll close here. Uh, Malachi chapter number three. I had to look this up. He, he gave this to me um, like Monday or Tuesday. It says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And that, that verse rang in my head, and I went, okay, well, what are you saying? This is, this is a, a totally aside. It's not going to really connect to what I was just saying as much, but I wanted to give this word. Um, I was like, well, what are you saying, Lord? And uh, I didn't get it for a while, but it hit me like the next morning. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. I believe the Lord's going to walk in. I believe he's going to walk in by his spirit one of these days. And I believe it's going to be soon. And I want to know what's your response going to be. When the Lord walks into the room, what's your response going to be? Will we be, will we be a group that we've laid everything down before him? We're going to say, Lord Jesus, you know, thank you very much for coming in. I'm going to put you in with the other idols that I have. I'll serve you too. Will we let him do whatever he wants to do? Or will we say, Jesus, please come in here. here. You can sit right here in front, but let me tell you how the service is going to go. 
you take your seat with everybody else and we'll, we'll let you, you know, but this is what's going to happen. Or we'll say, come on in. Be yourself. Whatever you want to do, however you want to make it look, you do it. Shake me up. Rattle my heart. Shake up everything as long as you're here. I believe the Lord will come. When, when he came, when that prophecy was fulfilled, he came into his temple. If you remember, he turned over tables and took a cat of nine tails and drove everybody out. When he comes into this place, what's our response going to be? So let's get right. Any idols that we have, let's get rid of them. And let's make sure that when he walks in the door, we're ready. And we can say, serving only you, Lord. That's it. Let me, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, we want you. Lord, Holy Spirit, I, we know that you are the spirit of Jesus. You, the sent to be with us. Holy Spirit, please come. Show up. Lord, right now, we need to be ready. We need to make ourselves ready. We need to be in a place that, that you want to come, that you, that you say, they, that group wants me, and they are right and ready to go. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you come and that you show us any idols that we have, anything that we put up alongside of Jesus. Says, so I'm going to trust in this. I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to, I'll, and I'll serve them all. I'll serve Jesus too. But we know that you want us to serve Jesus alone and have nothing else. So, Lord, show us in a way that only you can. Show us any other idols that we have. And Lord, once you do that, I pray that you'll help us to, to smash those things, to bury them, to get rid of them, to, to leave them and to never pick them back up, to destroy them completely. Whatever the idol may be and whatever cost it might be, we might have spent you know, a fortune to create this idol out of gold. But let us leave it all behind for the sake of your cause. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll show us what those things are. And I pray that each person in here, as you show us what those are, no matter how big, no matter how small, that you will help us all to destroy those things, no matter what they are. To, to let those things go and to trust only, solely in you, properly. I know that we need to trust other people in, in some way, but our complete trust that you're number one in everything. Thank you for it, Lord. We trust you. We love you. Can't wait for you to come and to shake everything up some more. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right.
God bless you guys. As as you um, 